0: Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 50. I'll give you a moment uh, to find it. Isaiah chapter 50. I'll give you a moment to find it. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 3. Isaiah 50, verse number 3. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word today? Isaiah 50, verse number 3. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain a weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Verse number 10. Who is it among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of a servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. And rely on his God. Behold all you kindle to of the fire. Who walk and encircle yourselves with your fire Walk in the light of your fire. And among the branch you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Dear Heavenly Father thank you for the beautiful day. Thank you Lord for allowing us to live long enough. To see the sun come up today. Thank you God for your goodness. And your mercy. They're like the sand on the shore. They're innumerable. Like the stars in the heavens, they are innumerable. Thank you, Lord, for the stars and for the sand. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you give to us. Teach us, Lord, the difference between need and greed. Lord, help us not to mumble and grumble and murmur and complain. God, you have been good to us. Lord, there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world who will worship under trees or in buses on the ground, hoping they don't get caught. Others will be in prison, killed for the cause of Christ. Lord, thank you that we have a place to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And, Lord, I pray that everything I'm about to say will be ordered and directed by you. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said Amen. amen and amen. You may be seated. What I'm about to teach took me 19 years to learn. I want to see a picture of the book that uh, I'm going to be teaching from. If you could throw that up there, it would be great. And um, a friend of mine asked me, said, James, why don't you write down what you just taught? And so I, I did that. And, and it's not a big book. It's a small book. What I've learned is that when we have big burdens, we don't need big books. What I've learned is that people who are, are going through challenging times will not read something that thick. They just want the bottom line. And so, um, so I wrote entitled, What to Do When the Lights Go Out. And during our fellowship time, we'll be in the back, and I encourage people to, to get a copy of it because the Lord is shaking the world. If you haven't enjoyed the last five years, you're not going to enjoy the next five. He's not finished shaking the world. He's not finished shaking our country either. We got a lot of dust we need to get out. Amen? And, and so I recommend it to you. But then get a couple of copies for others who don't know the Lord because if they're going through a crisis, they're more apt to listen intently or read something specifically in time of crisis than in a time in their life. And all the proceeds go to the network to help double the size of the church in this Generation. What do we do when the baby dies? When there is a reverse of nature? What do we do when some Judas stabs us in the back? If you've never had that experience, give yourself some time. You might have one or two of those. It's not pleasant. Maybe uh, uh, a loved one leaves for work and he or she is taking from us tragically. Uh, what, do we ha- what do we do when the job dries up and the employer says, your skills are no longer needed? What do we do when the bottom falls out, when darkness comes? You know, one time Jesus was teaching and he told the story about the two houses in one storm. It's a very famous story. He said there was one house on the sand and one house on the rock, but there was one storm. It rained on the House with the rock, it rained on the house with the sand. And what Jesus was saying is a lot of people are all house and no foundation. That's the point of the story. It's what you don't see that matters the most. And the foundation of a person's life is revealed when the storm comes. What do we do when the lights go out? I believe we learn more in that time in our life than any other time in our life. It's what I call the diadems of darkness. And so I want to encourage us to write them down. And then what I want to encourage you to do when you get home, get to your, get to your, uh, your place, put them on a 4x6 card. And then take that 4x6 card and put it on the refrigerator door. You say, James, why do you want us to put it on the refrigerator door? Because we go there a lot. And every time you go there, read it until you know it. Because let me tell you what I've learned about darkness. It doesn't knock before it comes. It doesn't ask for permission. Is it okay if I invade your world today? So you write it down. You'll learn it. Why? Because we're not going to live reactionary lives. We're going to live actionary lives. We're going to live with a plan in mind because the Lord wants to order our steps and our stops. First of all, it's what I call faith's development. And here is the principle. Those of deepest devotion sometimes go through the deepest darkness. There are people being martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ around the world. Sometimes faith gets us in trouble sometimes faith gets us out of trouble I'm telling you if you name the name of Jesus sooner or later somebody is not going to appreciate it there are times you learn how to duck and there's sometimes you learn how to pucker some people love you some people hate you but in the final analysis it's not about you it's about the one you are representing and so sooner or later we're going to get in a little trouble every now and then Every once in a while, somebody says to me, well, I'm just going to coast through the rest of my life. Well, there's only one way to coast, and that's down. There's only one way to climb, and that's up. God didn't call us to be coasters. He called us to be climbers. I expect there to be a little angriness among some people every now and then. I hope my name was whispered in the hot halls of the hell today. I hope Satan realizes it's not going to be as good as he thought it was going to be. And by the way, that picture right there that's been studying it, in every garden there is a serpent. Understand that to be true. In every uh, sphere of life, there is somebody who wants to bring havoc to your life. You need to pray for discernment and ask God to give you insight in all the people that are around you. And everybody said, Amen. In every garden there is a serpent. Never forget that truth. Now, those of deepest devotion sometimes go through the deepest darkness. I I love the book of Job. If it's been a while since you've read the book of Job, I encourage you to read the book of Job. In Job 19, verse 8, it says this, that God put darkness in Job's path. Who did it? God did it. Uh, God and Job had a phenomenal relationship. But God allowed darkness to come into Job's path. He lived in darkness for a season of years. Uh, He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his friends. He lost his loved ones. Uh, His friends turned against him. One day his spouse said, why don't you just curse the Lord and die? Uh, This was a season of time. Now, we like to get to the end of the book of Job where he got twice as much as he lost. And that's true. He did. But just because he had more children doesn't mean he doesn't visit the cemetery where the other children were buried. Sometimes we forget. You know, sometimes we glibly say something. A Christian cliche never heals a broken heart. A lot of times we'll say, well, you know, if someone leaves us a child, well, they're in heaven. Oh, okay. Oh, now I'm supposed to get happy. They're in heaven. Listen, grieve your loss. Grieve your loss. You know, let the tears flow. It's okay. Doesn't mean you don't have faith because you're weeping. I think there's something wrong with a guy or gal who doesn't ever get real in his or her life. Uh, sometimes we just throw our Christian cliches around because we don't know what else to say. You know, sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. Uh, sometimes we say something and the person inside is saying, man, they don't have a clue what I'm going through. But I'll be polite. I won't say anything. Uh, Job went through that dark period of time in his life. I love the book of Habakkuk. Now, the book of Habakkuk is toward the end of the Old Testament. We call it a minor prophet. But Habakkuk wasn't minor. He was major. Uh, but the book is small. And uh, Habakkuk says in chapter 1, he's asking God some big questions. Now, it's okay to ask God big questions because God's big. Now, if you ask a small person big questions, you get small answers, and you walk away dissatisfied. It's okay to ask God gigantic, humongous questions. Uh, There are no problems in heaven, only plans for our lives. The Holy Trinity never gets together and say this, oh, that caught us by surprise. We didn't see that problem coming. Now listen, God doesn't have that kind of conversation. He doesn't view things the way we view things. God is not going to learn anything new today. God knows everything about everyone. God doesn't have to go somewhere to get to someplace. We had to get up to get here. God didn't have to get up to get here. God was with us at home. God was with us when we were walking, and yet he still got here before we did today. Uh, God doesn't have to go somewhere to get to some place. He's already there. Uh, There's not a thing that you could ever ask him that would be beyond his insider knowledge. Now, Habakkuk asked him some big questions. He says, God, do you hear me when I pray? God, do you see the injustice in the earth? God, when are you going to balance the books? God, don't you see the righteous are suffering, the unrighteous are prospering? God, when are you going to turn things around? God says, Habakkuk, if I was to tell you what I'm up to, you wouldn't be able to comprehend it. If God says, I'm sorry, what I'm up to is bigger than your thoughts, just back up and say, that's all right, Lord. Thank you for responding. But Habakkuk says, I, I, try me out. I, I made straight A's in Hebrew. I think I can comprehend it. And God says, well, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Listen to what God says. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians are the most vile, wicked, horrific, terrible people <laughs> that's ever lived on the planet. And the Bible says that God was raising them up. And then God says this to Habakkuk. By the way, Habakkuk, they're going to be your new neighbors. They're moving in. They're coming where you are. And not only are they coming where you are, they're going to haul everybody out. And they're going to Babylonian captivity. And how long did they spend in Babylonian captivity? Seventy years. Now, have you ever asked yourself the question, why 70? Why not 50? That's a big number. Why not 75? Let me tell you why they spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Now, I didn't tell the early service this, but I'm going to tell us this this afternoon. All right. The reason why they spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity is because the Lord gave a law concerning the land. And he said, till the land six years, seventh year leave it alone don't get greedy, six years, reap from the land, seventh year, leave it alone. Do you think they did that? Well, no, they didn't do that. They tilled the soil, reaped from the soil for 490 years in a row. And on the seventh year, every time they did it, they disobeyed. You divide it up, they disobeyed 70 times. They they disobeyed 70 years. Now, how many years did they have to spend outside the land in Babylonian captivity? 70 years people think they're getting away with it but they're not getting away with it God's wheels may move very slow but they move exceedingly fine and we have to understand that because we in the west think we can just say and do whatever we want to do and we think well because we live in so called God blessed America we will get by with it but we will not God says to Habakkuk they're moving in And when he gets a fresh word from God, Habakkuk realizes it hasn't even gotten dark yet. When they get here, it's going to get dark, and then it's going to get darker. And how long is it going to last? Seventy years. Some of the most famous words in all the Bible in the book of Habakkuk. Get to chapter 3. He's singing. He says at the very end, I have hinds feet in high places. He says, I've learned how to have high times and hard times. uh Is that because of economic expansion? No. He says the crops are gone. The cattle are dead. We're having a hard time even finding something to eat. He said, but we've learned how to rejoice in the Lord. How how was he able to learn how to rejoice in the Lord? By what the Lord taught him in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 4. Now, most of us will know it, and we can finish it together. Habakkuk says, the just shall live by God. Faith. Now I'm glad he said that so the apostle Paul could plagiarize it when he wrote the book of Romans. It wasn't Romans who it wasn't Paul who first said, The just shall live by faith. It was Habakkuk who first said the just shall live by faith. And he said that in a dark period of his life. Notice he says, the just, aren't you glad we're justified and we don't get what we deserve? He says, the just shall live. We're not just getting by. He said, we shall live. How do we live? We live by faith. Faith in who? In the king of the universe. Oh, my friend. You may say, "But, but James, I'm a New Testament Christian. Okay, well, let's get to the New Testament just real quick. Here's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in a dark dungeon cell, and things are not going well for John. He's scheduled to be beheaded. He's going to be a foot shorter than he was the week earlier. Some of you get that later. Things are not going so well. And, uh, and so he sends a text message to the Messiah. Men, have you ever heard a pastor say, take a text? Texting's been around quite a while. So um, sends a text message to the Messiah. He says, it's dark down here. Things are not going well. Rumor is they're going to take my head from me. Um, I've got to ask you a question Are you the Messiah? Or should we just keep looking for him? Listen to what John the Baptist says. He's being polite. He's really saying this Are you a fake? Are you really the Messiah? Or is this a sham? Because I've got to know. I'm at the end. Are you the real deal? Text message comes back to John the Baptist. Blind see, deaf hear, dead come back to life. I am who I said I am. I am the Messiah. Question, was John the Baptist delivered? No. Who's it? Now we may get hard on John and say, well, you shouldn't question who Jesus is. But you know what Jesus said one time about John the Baptist? He said no one had ever been born greater than John the Baptist. Think about that for a second. If the greatest guy who ever lived had to walk through darkness, I think we better get in line. Even Jesus, the Son of God, went through darkness. Those of deepest devotion sometimes go through the deepest darkness. I remember getting off a plane in London, England many years ago and hearing the tragic news that Princess Diana had been killed in, in Paris in that tunnel. Taxi driver was the one that told me the news. I was there that week, the outpouring of the affection around the world. But shortly right after that, within a week, um, Mother Teresa passed away in Calcutta, India. Now, when Mother Teresa passed away in Calcutta, India, there was not much fanfare about her passing. And shortly before her death, she made this statement. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until all you have is Jesus. Now, she said, You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until all you have is Jesus. Now, now, when Mother Teresa passed away, all she had was a bucket, a stick, and a pair of wore-out sandals. How many of us have a little bit more than a bucket, a stick, and a pair of wore-out sandals? She said, you'll never know that Jesus, all you need until all you have is Jesus. It's not Jesus and something else. It's not Jesus and faith. Jesus and a new thing. Jesus is all we need. Jesus is not just an answer. He is the answer. He's not just a way. He is the way. One time Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. Truth is not a point. It's not a principle. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. You see, we oftentimes like to talk about what is truth. I think we ought to start talking about who is truth. You see, people are not set free just because they believe something in their head. But because Jesus, who is truth, comes into their heart. And Jesus sets people free. You see, it's amazing how we like to complicate it, but the Word of God keeps it very simple. How many different kinds of religion do you think there are in the world? You say, James, I didn't know we were coming to sociology class. Uh, Well, there's only two kinds of religion in the world, true religion and false religion. You won't ever hear me say to you, go out and share your faith because it's not my faith that saves you. It's Jesus who saves you. I'm to go out and tell people about Jesus. He's the greatest magnetic false, uh, 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 truth of all. So we need to understand that Jesus Christ, there is dynamic supernatural power attached to his name. Uh, You see, there is... Christianity in the world, and then there's everything else. Have you ever asked yourself, why does Hollywood like to blaspheme the name of Jesus? I mean, why don't they blaspheme the name of Buddha? Why don't they blaspheme Confucius? Why do they keep picking on Jesus? Because Jesus is the real deal. You see, if you choose to counterfeit bubblegum wrappers, nobody's going to throw you in jail. By the way, my favorite bubblegum is bazooka bubblegum. I love bazooka bubblegum. Anybody else love bazooka bubblegum? I love bazooka bubblegum. My family knows that. And so I have three pieces at a time. Uh, But if you chose to counterfeit the the wrappers, uh, the little stories inside, they're not going to throw you in prison. You know why? Because there is no value in counterfeiting bubblegum wrappers. There's no value. But if you decide you want to counterfeit $100 bills, you say, you know what, I got away with the wrappers. Let me try the $100 bills. They're going to lock you up and throw away the key. Why? Because there's value in a $100 bill. There's no value in the bubblegum wrapper. Do you know why people like to blaspheme Jesus? You want to know why they like to make him look like an idiot? Or dress him up like a homosexual? You want to know why? Because he is the real deal. Because there is only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Understand that. And you and I have the opportunity to tell this whole world about Jesus, and if you believe it, say amen. Uh, those of deepest devotion sometimes go through the deepest darkness. Secondly, faith's development. The faith that's born in the light is developed in the dark. Uh, faith, like film is better developed in the dark. We grow more in times of challenge than any other time. We all know this to be true. We fast and pray more in sickness than in health. We, we pray more in hostility than in tranquility. Uh... Uh, the Bible's read more when people are against us than they are for us. Uh, we know this to be true. Uh, some people treat the Lord like a, like, uh, like a heavenly bellhop. They, 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 they live any way they want and they just whistle and expect the Lord to come running. Well, the Lord is not a heavenly bellhop. Some people treat the Lord like a spare tire, only pull him out in time of crisis, put him back in the trunk when the crisis is over. That is not Christianity. That is not the way we are to live our life. The Lord is to be more real to us than the chair we're sitting on today. My friend, he is the king of kings and He's is the Lord of lords. And he wants to have a relationship with every one of us in this room. A real relationship. A heartfelt relationship. Uh, back in uh, central Florida where we live, I can get up in the middle of the night with all the lights off. Completely dark. I can get out of bed and I can tiptoe and I can find The refrigerator. How many of us can find the treasure in the darkness? It's amazing, isn't it? It'll become an Olympic sport. It's so incredible. Now, the reason we're able to do that is because we learned where it was in the daytime. If you don't believe that's true, go to somebody else's place where you've never been before. In the middle of the night, with permission. Walk into that apartment or that house with all the lights off, and you'll find it's not so easy to find the refrigerator because you didn't learn where it was in the daytime. The Lord teaches us of something in the day so that we can be victorious in the night. When we study God's Word, the Bible says the Word is like a lamp unto our feet. Another translation says a lamp unto our path. We don't need a lamp in the daytime. We need a lamp in the nighttime. When I have my quiet time, my goal is not to get what's on my list, on God's list. He already knows what's on my list. I don't know what's on his list. I want to get what's on his list, on my list. I figure if I can get what's on his list, on my list, I can be far more successful. And the only way I'm going to do that is to do a lot less talking and a lot more listening. It's okay to get quiet and have a quiet time. Some people say, well, I have my quiet time on my way to work. No, that's rush hour. It's rush hour. That's not quiet time. Don't call that a quiet time. that's rush hour. The Lord wants to teach us something in the daytime. Pastor Raymond or Pastor Evan brings a message. The Lord turns the light on. Between one Sunday and next Sunday, we may have to walk through the darkness. You see, we don't just live by explanations. We live according to God's promises. A wonderful professor taught me that principle. There's some things in life we'll never be able to explain. There's things about the Lord we'll never comprehend. There are problems in the world that we'll never comprehend. We don't just live by explanations. We live according to God's promises. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we start living our life on the promise, and we become as consistent as the promise. Where reasoning cannot wade, faith must swim. There comes a time the Lord says, get going. Now, I believe we ought to plan. I think we ought to strategize. I think we ought to think through things. I think we ought to study ourselves to death, pray ourselves back to life again. I think we ought to do all of that and more. But I also believe there comes a time, God says, get going. And I will show you the rest of the plan. Uh, You see, the faith that is born in the light is developed in the dark. Number three is what I call faith's discernment. There's some things you can see in the dark that you can't see in the light. Um, it's a beautiful, sunshiny day today. Don't you appreciate the sunshine today? Uh, it's a little taste of Florida. And, uh, you know, that, that, that sun is, that sixth borough of New York City, is, uh, uh, that sun is 93 million miles away. Um, it takes a, a sun ray 8.3 minutes to leave the sun to get right here downtown Brooklyn. And the reason I'm telling you that, because I know when you get up this morning, you're looking at the sun, you're kind of wondering, how long does it take for a sun ray to leave the sun to get here? Well, it travels 186,000 miles per second, 8.3 minutes from the sun to here. When it leaves the sun, it's more than 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Aren't you glad it cools off before it gets here? Now, if we have 100 degrees this summer, we're not going to complain. We're going to say, thank you, God, for letting those sun rays cool off before they get here. Just a matter of perspective, amen? In the daytime, we see the short we take the short look. In the nighttime, we take the long look. In the daytime, we get wrapped up in busyness. But when the darkness comes, we get down to business. A few years ago, NASA released a composite picture of the Milky Way Galaxy. I want you to see this composite picture of the Milky Way Galaxy. I love this picture. Uh, we're kind of down toward the southeastern point part of the United States, uh, of the southeast part of the Milky Way Galaxy. The Milky Way Galaxy is more than a trillion miles wide. And there's more than a trillion, uh, six trillion miles wide. And it has more than a trillion planets in it. And more than 200 billion suns, most of them bigger than the sun right outside. And we're in a, what we call a solar system. Solar system is a group of rocks that go around a star. And, you know, we used to have nine planets. But as we came into the new uh, century, scientists declared Pluto no longer a planet. We lost a planet. You know, when you start losing planets and you only have nine, that's not a good thing. We, we have lost 15% of our planets in the 21st century. But we're the third one closest to the sun, so we still have a little ways to go before we get to us. Um, but we're in a solar system. Now, the next time you think we're doing something big, just pull this picture out. Get a better perspective, because you can't even find yourself in this picture. Now, I don't know... When was the last time maybe that you took a walk in the darkness in a cloudless sky where there's no light? There's a place I go every couple years when I speak out in Arizona. It's out in the desert. I have to drive from Las Vegas to get there to speak, and there's 20 miles of land where there's no electricity, no cell phone coverage, nothing. And when I'm driving back to catch the red-eye flight, I stop for about five minutes, take the car rental, pull it off to the side, turn all the lights off, and I sit there quietly in the desert. And I get my eyes focused on the stars above. And when you get really still and really quiet, you can hear the whisper of the stars. The Bible says the stars declare the greatness of God. The Bible says the stars shout the glory. Of the Lord when do you hear about his greatness in his glory walking outside in a little while on the street no when it's really really dark and there's no light at all you will get a glimpse of how great and glorious the Lord really is don't be afraid of it God will make you a bigger person hallelujah Fourth, what I call is faith's danger. Uh, it's better to be served the Lord in God-ordained darkness than standing alone in self-made light. You know what the temptation is when darkness comes? Temptation is to turn the light on. Temptation is, I don't like that. Let's turn the light on. Now, ladies and gentlemen, darkness never overcomes the light. Light always overcomes the darkness. Now, you know, a lot of times some people spend all their time cursing the darkness. Um, See, we don't have a darkness problem in America. We don't have a darkness problem in Brooklyn. We have a light problem. When you don't have as much light, you have more darkness. It's It's not that the darkness has gotten meaner. It's that the light has gotten dimmer. So we have to understand, we have a light problem, not a dark problem. You know, darkness never overcomes the light. Light always overcomes the darkness. If you don't believe that's true, afterwards when you get home, you go to your apartment, you go to your house, go to your bedroom, open up that, uh, turn the light on in your bedroom, and then go to that closet and open up that closet door, and you'll see that the darkness has run inside that closet. Go into your family room, turn on the light, and darkness underneath the sofa is hiding the light. If for some reason the Lord has turned the light off, wise is the believer who waits for the Lord to turn the light back on. But that's the hardest time because if we're not careful, listen to me, we'll make it worse instead of making it better. Isaiah said in verse 11, if we create our own fire in darkness, we will lay down and suffer in turmoil. The way out is It's not just solving it by yourself. Isaiah said we must rely on the Lord and we must trust in him. It's one thing, ladies and gentlemen, for us to have faith in him. It's another thing for us to have trust in him. We have to trust him. He will keep his word to you. He is is not in debt to anybody. He will trust he, he, will, he will honor the words that he gives to each and every one of us. But the temptation is, when the sun is going down to catch, to chase after a setting sun, that's not the way out, because the sun is going to set. The way out is to turn and walk into the darkness and catch a rising sun. And the only way we can do that is by relying and trusting in the Lord. If you want to get out sooner, Walk and catch the sun that's rising. Stop chasing the sun that is setting. And how do we do that? By relying and trusting in the Lord. That is good for every one of us in this room. Fifth and last, faith's daybreak. If your sun has gone down, it will come back up again. We may weep for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I don't know what time you got up today, but I was up as the sun was just coming up over the edge of the earth, just around 5 o'clock this morning, watching the sun rise. And I stood there giving the Lord praise for another day. Wow, another day to serve him, another day to be a part of what he's doing in the world today. In the 1990s, my wife and I, we laid to rest two children, one in 1991, one in 1998. Our daughter, Jennifer, passed away in 1991. Our son, James, passed away in 1998. Both of our children uh, were young, very young. They never left the hospital. And my lovely wife held both of them while I stood there, and they died. And it's indescribable. Uh, It's hard for even after all these years to fully try to describe uh, what we walked through during that time. And between those two little ones... um, passing away we um we had a miscarriage and um and it started this past started 1990 and ended in valentine's weekend um in 1998 for us and then finally we got into the new millennium Um, but i want you to know when you go through something you have to make a decision you have to decide as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a Christian that you believe your beliefs because you can't understand it. You can't comprehend why the Lord will allow this to come twice. So you have to believe your beliefs. You have to stand upon what's clear and you have to decide that you're not going to get ugly about it that you're not going to allow any root of bitterness to get into your life. You know, when tragedy comes, some people get angry. Now, I'm not saying we didn't. We, we did. From time to time to this day, we still do. A friend of mine, a couple weeks after, he serves on our ministry board, has for many years. His name is Charles. He made this statement to me about two weeks after the passing of our son. He said, James. The Lord has trusted you and your wife, Sherry, with a pain he doesn't trust many people with. Don't trash it. Don't trash it. There's some here today who are going through some pain. Don't trash it. Keep it close and near to your heart. Uh, In this new millennium, we have a privilege to adopt precious uh, two lovely daughters, and I want you to see a picture of our family today, and and it's my lovely wife, Sherry. We've been married uh, 28 years this is our lovely girls. Uh, the oldest daughter is uh, Olivia. Uh, she's 13. Our youngest daughter is uh, Priscilla. She's eight. Now I want you to notice, my wife and I, we're 53 years old. Our children are eight and 13. A friend of mine asked me not too long ago, James, what's your retirement plan? I said, retirement plan, our children are eight <laughs> and 13. I said, we're praying for an energy plant in our house. That's what we're praying for. Uh, uh, but you'll notice our girls are from China. And so made in China means something different to us than it does a lot of other people. Uh, but you know, the Lord trusted us with this. You see, you have to pass the test to earn the trust. And with this, I'm finished. Some time ago a man uh, was sitting with his five-year-old son, and he was uh, watching a ball game. And his five-year-old boy wanted to go out and play ball instead of watch ball. And so the dad had to get creative. So he reached inside of a magazine and pulled out of that magazine a picture of the world. And he took the picture of the world and tore it up into small pieces. And uh And he gave all the pieces of the world to his five-year-old son and got some scotch tape. And he said, why don't you put all the pieces of the world back together? And by the time you get all the pieces of the world back together, the game will be off and we'll go out and play ball together. The The boy said, okay. So he grabbed the pieces of the world, got the tape, and started putting all the little pieces of the world together. A little bit later, he holds up this picture and he says, Dad, look, I've been able to get all the pieces of the world together. The dad was stunned. He said, I'm shocked. You got the continents in the right place. You got the countries in the right place. He said, how are you able to do this? He said, oh, Dad, it was easy. On the other side of the picture of the world was a picture of a man, and all I had to do was put the man together. (laughs) And as I put the man together, his world came together. And that's what I'm trying to say right here. You'll never get your pieces together. Until Jesus gets you together. When Jesus gets you together, He'll get your pieces together. And there's some of us, we've got some serious pieces. And when the Lord gets us together, He puts our life together. I'm just saying that today as a dad and as a husband. My lovely wife Sherry, we've been married 28 years. She has an extremely rare form of muscular dystrophy. With those who have muscular dystrophy, one out of 2,000 have this kind of muscular dystrophy. My family was in church today. I called them on our way here. My lovely wife homeschools our girls. Let me tell you why I was saying that. Because we got some serious issues. But we get up every day as a Christian family. We love Jesus with all of our heart. We face some serious mountains. But I know this. If Jesus can put me together, He'll take care of the rest of it. If he put together my wife, he'll take care of the rest of it. If he'll get my girls together, he'll take care of the rest of it. It's not about being smart enough to figure it all out. We let Jesus put us together, and all the pieces of our life come together. That's what the Lord is looking for in this auditorium today. And how do we walk it out? By trusting and relying in him. Would you please stand with me in this sacred gathering today? <laughs> As our eyes are closed in this service. Uh, I've been uh, I've been very transparent, and uh, and I've I've tried to to teach out of the overflow of my life, not just something that's head knowledge, but shoe leather, shoe leather. And as our eyes are closed in this sacred gathering today, you heard today say James, hiya. Uh, I want to rely and trust in the Lord more than I ever have in my life. Rely and trust. Wow. Relying on his resources. Trusting in his integrity. Wow. Relying in his resources. All his strength and power is to our availability. Trusting in who he is. Wow. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. If you can say with integrity, Lord, I, I want to rely on you more. I want to trust in you more than I ever have in my life. Uh, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. My hand will be the first one to be up today because there is no other way to walk it out except by relying and trusting in the Lord. One, two, three. If that's you, just lift your hand. My hand is up. Dear Heavenly Father, you see our hand. Lord, we put our hand in your hand. We walk when you walk. We stop. We stop when you stop. We're just going to walk with you. We walk with you every day through the ebbs and flows in life, through the mountains, through the valleys, through the sunshine, through the nighttime. We walk through with you with health and sickness. When people love us, when people don't, we just walk with you. Lord, we're not going to get ahead of you. You're the leader. We're the follower. We're going to follow you every day. Lord God, we rely on you. We trust in you. You are our strength, our source. You are our everything. Lord, we give it all to you right this very moment in this sacred gathering. We thank you, Lord, for this. In the wonderful name of Jesus, can you just take 60 seconds, lay a hand on somebody else's shoulder and just pray for him or her today? Just just, just take us just 60 seconds. Lord, we pray for him. We pray for her. Lord God, we don't even pretend to fully know what they are facing. Uh, Lord, we just ask you, Lord, to strengthen them from within. Lord, that you would do that work down deep inside of their heart and life. And, Lord, we just will be careful to to give you the praise and glory and honor for it all. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, melt away anxiety, fear, and worry, and dread. Take it out of my brother and sister's heart. Renew their mind, renew their spirit, renew their soul. Lord God, renew them from within, I pray, right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this. We give you the praise and the glory for it all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.